to the show mia it's so good to see you again it's been a long time definitely since seeing you every day on the floors of the grubhub call center we would just peek over the cubicles and make eye contact yeah (laughs) oh my god yeah after you left i did go through a period where i had to like get my shit together be really thorough be a good employee right something like that i kind of went in intentionally trying to climb the ladder Mm -hmm. so it was never a priority for me to solve problems or you know like you just want the numbers yeah i just i was like okay these are the metrics let me play the game yeah dude and i peeped that right away like we were literally in the same training class same little corner of the building promoted within the same Mm -hmm. month onto the same small team yep we were basically destined to be friends (laughs) it's true yeah and to learn from each other Right, all of the tricks. I like to use this analogy when explaining to other people that have never worked in a call center. It's like walking into a specific room at the zoo, and when you first walk in, it smells terrible, and you're kind of hyper aware of how bad it smells, but then eventually you get used to the smell, and everyone that's been there a long time does not even acknowledge that there's a smell. So if you want to fit in and do well, you learn quickly, or some people never learn, but I've learned to not acknowledge the smell. (laughs) That basically means if a procedure is poorly built, then you need to suppress your intuitive desire to make suggestions to improve it, or even call out that it is a bad system. Basically, like, a lot of the people that are in the management positions at most call centers are just thankful to be off of the phones and in a comfortable position where they can kind of, like, kick their feet up and enjoy the fruits of escaping the front line. So whenever somebody at the bottom that's new is like, hey, it smells like shit in here, uh, basically that creates work for management. And of course, ego gets involved, but uh, mainly you learn how to do things in a way that doesn't create more work for anybody else. And that is what will help you get promoted. So the skill that is rewarded is not making things better. It's pretending that things don't smell bad. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes that's hard. It's really how much you care about the job. Like if you're willing to get fired and you're not like for myself, like I was not worried about it. Like after when COVID hit and like we were all remote, I had a hotspot on my phone, a small little laptop, me and my truck, anywhere I could go that had electricity, I was there. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there was multiple times where I'd be, like, running errands, like, driving down a major, like, street, and I'd be like, oh, shit, I got a call. Like, I've literally taken phone calls to, like, update a closing time while sitting in, like, a parking lot because I just had to pull over real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Like, for me, I didn't really care just because I knew that that corporate world was not for me, and, like, I knew that I wanted to get into cannabis. I like this transition. Okay, so I think my main goal with this episode is to get to the bottom of, how did I phrase it? I'm pulling up a text message. 
I want to think, or I want to hear about corporate weed people selling their soul. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. I feel like what kind of instigated this is I have been jumping through many hoops pretty much since I last saw you. I had just quit Grubhub, right? And I was in between Michigan and Little Dana, Oregon. So the last time I saw you, I was in the middle of a bunch of shit. Like I was trying to figure out like, how do I get into this industry? How do I not get treated like shit? Like I need to get paid. Like, I don't want to be black market. Went to Michigan. It was a whole pile of nothing. There was no job because there was no money. And like, as an outsider, I was like, what the fuck? Why aren't there contracts? Like, why isn't there a date? Like, why am I here already if the job's not even ready? So I came back to Arizona, fucking drove all the way back because I was ready to be in Michigan. Um, And then I got an opportunity to go work in Oregon. Everybody knows that Northern Cali weed is where it's at. But really it's Oregon and it all comes down from what they call like the Emerald Triangle where the climate is fucking perfect and the soil is perfect for cannabis cultivation. And it's happened for like years, like before you and I were even born kind of thing. Like weed's been pumping out of there. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I got an opportunity to go out there to learn. And at that point I figured like I never went to college. I don't have a bunch of people behind me in the cannabis world. I had just broken off a major relationship the one that I thought that was gonna bring me in, and went to Oregon, worked organic outdoor and greenhouse light depth is what they call it, which is like light deprivation. Growing some really beautiful shit out in the middle of nowhere, having like a truly like soul enriching experience while learning how to work with this plant. Understanding that it was very dangerous because it wasn't with a license or a company or anything, you know Ultimately at the end of our season, which outdoor cultivation can only happen when the weather's right basically, uh, I came back to Arizona with no money. It was black market and there there was a fucking a thing that happened where we couldn't sell our products. So we spent all this time and energy growing and producing and curing and trimming and packaging for there to be no buyer. So it was like, oh shit, this is the reality, right? When you're black market, you're not backed, you're not protected. There's no banking. This is right. all our own money. Like I was spending money to be there kind of thing. And like, I took that as a lesson. This is the reality. And like with it being legalized in some places, but only legalized to certain extents and like the difference between rec Mm -hmm. and medical and black market, like there's so many like races happening and they're all dangerous. I feel like in the black market, especially current day, people have lost so much. Like when I left Oregon, the price per pound was like $400 which is ridiculous like pounds should be going for like 1600 to like 2100 based on the quality of them and like for the price of pounds to be down so low speaks for the entire economy and everybody's like mental state like after i left everybody that i worked with that i like checked back in on they went and got regular ass jobs and like not good jobs but like i work at the dollar tree or i got a construction job anything that anybody could get these are the people that used to work recreational or black market black market Specifically in Oregon, because like, unless you're with a company, unless you're legal, unless you're legit, there's no guarantee. And basically, like, when I came back to Arizona after Oregon, my whole perspective changed. I don't ever want to have to fill this again. I don't want to have to grow weed to then sell it myself. I'm not a trapper. I don't want to have to break shit down to eighths for people. Like, I have pounds. And this is, that's the reality for a farmer. That's the reality for a cultivator. Like you grow a lot of weed, then you have a lot of weed. And then what do you do at that point? You know? And then when I came to Arizona, I got a job as a bud tender because I wanted to see what was actually on shelves. Like 
my own product that I had grown would never be on a shelf. So like, I want to check these fuckers out, you know? I know what it takes to create good product. I've tasted really bad product and I've tasted phenomenal shit before. And Arizona, like, what you got? <laughs> and it's going to be interesting, like, watching the industry mature. Because like, in Arizona at least, I think uh, it was like 2017 where medical became a thing and only recently was rec really like widely accepted so in like the last three to five years cannabis in arizona is exploding it's like california in like 2000 (laughs) so when you said it was dangerous do you mean the risk of not getting paid or was there other violent danger there was definitely lots of elements of danger i mean even to this day even just talking about it like i don't talk about exactly where i was don't talk about who you were with like it's understood, right? Like, I was in Oregon growing. Okay. There's actually a documentary on Netflix called Murder Mountain. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I was in that area. Yeah. And it, like, we would very frequently hear the neighbors just like, da, 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 like, going off. And we're just like, oh, duck low, guys. <laughs> oh, shit. So, correct me if I'm wrong. You can't rely on, for example, a police department or the law to protect you. So you have to be your own police department. Like You have to be your own law and order. People need to be afraid of you because if they're not afraid of you, then... They'll just take you or take whatever you have. Even in the clean legal market, there is still no guarantee. Like, but at least like you can't get in trouble. Like you're not going to get raided and arrested for being with your plants. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess like even with recreational, there's a risk because other like legal barriers even though you're doing it the right way there's there's a large amount of product that just ends up unsellable Mm -hmm. for some reason yeah there's a lot of reasons typically because of testing and compliance there's a lot of hoops that everybody needs to jump through and in the sense of like public safety right like just like our food like the fda looks after it with weed and cannabis there's compliance for every like district like every county has its own set of rules and they're constantly changing so some could have not kept up with like a regulation the labeling packaging could be incorrect i know specifically in arizona like there's a law going into effect come december where like no packaging can be appealing to children so like anything with cartoons or bright colors or like fruity food flavors everything has to get repackaged or remarketed after december there's just like so many reasons you just reminded me, actually. I um, have an audio clip from a friend that I wanted to play so we could talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I have a response from a listener and a guest from a former episode, Sarah. Uh, she was on the spy balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And train derailment <laughs> episode. Yes. Hi, Qtanon, long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm just reaching out as a follow-up of the Delta Haters episode. Um, Last week, I went to get a CBD drink out of a local convenience store, and it's in, like, a seltzer refrigerator, so just, like, typically CBD and, like, other things like LaCroix. Um, But I noticed there was a new one, and it did have the exclamation mark, like, weed uh, label at the top, but I didn't. I think CBD cans have that. Anyway, I just kind of reached in, grabbed it, thought it was a new one to go sit in a park with some friends. And by the end of the hangout, I was so stoned that I was so confused that when I looked down at the can, at the very, very bottom of the can was a label that said um, 20 milligrams Delta 8 instead of, you know, like a CBD drink. 
sorry, it got cut off. Um, and so then I proceeded to have to drive home really, really, really stoned, and I, like, lost my plans the rest of the day. And honestly, like, kind of felt like I was tripping. Yeah. Uh, I, like, smoke weed and I eat edibles, and it's not even my first time, like, experiencing Delta 8, but I was just so shook at the fact that I was able to just reach above, you know, like, seltzers and drinks, like, non-alcoholic stuff and just somehow end up with this drink. And I kept thinking about, like, had I been going to work or what I'd been doing, like, if I hadn't been just going to sit in a park, how, like, um, irresponsible it was, like, labeling-wise. And I just don't make it that clear on the can that it <laughs> that this is, like, Delta 8. So anyway, thought of Q to non, and now I, too, am a Delta hater. I just feel like I got bamboozled in that <laughs> process. Anyway, thank you. Bye-bye. No, that's crazy. I definitely agree with Sarah that she probably was bamboozled and I don't think it's necessarily the company or the marketing. It's more just the research that's gone into these things. Delta 8 is a chemical compound that they're isolating and then extracting and like exacerbating in a product. Like when you smoke weed, like the natural plant, like nothing fucked with, nothing added, you're getting a full spectrum experience. But uh, I'm smoking on this Gelato 41. It looks like what I'm smoking right now is called Zookies. It's like cookies with a Z. I've had Zookies before. It's uh, animal cookies and OG or original glue as they call it. It's a pretty common one. I feel like sometimes when they make up the names, I always want to like look up what they are. Because like most of the time I don't believe them. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It's been good. I, uh, I definitely have had Gelato. At, like from legal dispensaries in Chicago, that one's pretty common. Nice. Do you find that any dispensary that has like something labeled gelato is going to be similar or does it vary a lot from say like Chicago gelato to Arizona gelato? It, it definitely varies and I wouldn't say it's even like regional, it's grower specific, batch specific, and it's also like cut specific. So like we don't have a thousand genetics. We just have a thousand cuts of a shit ton of different types of genetics that have all been like crossbed based on certain effects. So like Zookies is a common one because it's a hybrid and it's tasty, it's smooth, it makes you feel nice and mellow. Like there's some super extreme sativas that like average consumer does not fuck with so it's not on shelves. But uh, I was just saying I'm smoking on this Summis pre-roll and it's actually pretty good. It's a Gelato 41 pre-roll from Summis. It's an like Arizona cultivation brand and like typically like I wouldn't say that it is pretty good but it's like I don't lie. That's the thing about me is like I'm brutally honest and like I guess I've just learned that through life like you really have to be authentic and you have to be okay with your decisions way down the line. Like I think that's one thing with like the legal market that I do appreciate is the tracking. It has the manufacture date, THC percentage 22.5%, CBD 0 0.7% um, which is pretty low but it's still there it's better than like zero CBD which means they would have extracted the CBD out of it which then kind of just goes back to that whole isolate thing um, mm. not into it it is like yeah the scientific like tinkering yeah they're fucking with nature is, is how I see it I kind of agree I don't know about, like a lot about it but that's my instinctual mm -hmm. impression yeah, I mean, there's like hundreds of cannabinoids is what they call them. Um, mm -hmm. And each cannabinoid has its own certain type of chemical compound that builds it. We have these cellular receptors that specifically talk 
to cannabis and everything like every strain is built with certain chemical compounds that's what gives them their unique like attributes like their look their smell their everything like even regular fruits and regular flowers have different types of cannabinoids just cannabis has a very specific set that makes it psychoactive that being the delta 8 which is why i think researchers jumped on it so much like oh man we can make this drug that maybe we'll just like get high from without having all these other side effects. There's also the more cynical take where they just want to avoid those marketing laws. It's not a controlled substance. Yeah, and I feel like it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, I'm not yet comfortable with isolates. That's what it's called. Like, when you isolate those certain compounds and then only focus on that one. But I've had great experiences with different ones, like CBN or CBG, even CBC, I think it's called. Like, CBD is a type of isolate one that's active in hemp and cannabis which hemp is technically cannabis they grow like a small little tiny christmas tree and they don't need water they don't need extra help they, they can just grow like a weed and they're also regenerative to the soil so wherever they grow after you harvest it the soil is better than it was before the hemp saw it it's interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, it's so cool. That's the hemp. Yeah. It's, so you, if you like want to grow, yeah, any crop in between harvests, growing hemp is going to be a good way to make your soil happy. Exactly. And have a better product in the future. I'm not that nerdy and that stuff, but I have a pretty good grasp. Hemp does this thing that very few other plants do to the soil that where it lives and where it grows. And like a lot of people have grown hemp low key as a cover crop for their other vegetables. Agriculture, man. So commercial cannabis is commercial agriculture. Right. <laughs> you know what? And this is a question I wanted to ask. I wonder if this corporate ag business uses the reputation of marijuana being a free loving kind of drug to take advantage of people maybe and that's not to say like necessarily customers, but maybe employees or business partners. They are entering into this corporate agricultural world with the assumption that everyone's going to be chill, people are going to be good people, people like are in it for the right reasons because... Oh, we're just growing a plant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they might think like because that's what that's how they arrived to the cannabis industry was just because they like the culture around it and they wanted to be working with the earth and they might assume that the the owner or their manager or the hiring people at the company like have a similar attitude and i'm sure in their first meeting or your first interview they're going to try and give you that impression mm -hmm. it's like oh smell the air it smells so good yeah it's real pretty it's kind of heartbreaking honestly like i am a very aggressively ambitious person like i'm super passionate about weed I think it's beautiful. I think what it does for people is awesome. But I also know good weed and I know bad weed. Knowing that you're putting a harmful product out or knowing that it's not exactly what they think it is is probably one of the worst things you can do to people. Like, I don't know, but like, it's a lot, right? Because there's so many perspectives. Like, we're all people. And 15, 20 years ago, this shit was not talked about. It was not regular. And like, a lot of people are coming with all types of stigmas. Uh, but a lot of people don't even care that it's weed, what I've come across with. Some people, it's like, oh, it's just a job. Like, yeah, it's cool. I wouldn't know, rose-colored glasses or not, I would not know what to look out for if I was <laughs> looking for a company and trying yeah. to figure out, like, which one treats their employees well, which one, like, operates ethically. 
because they're all going to be saying the same thing. Yeah, we're good. Mm -hmm. I think you hit it right on the nose there. Everybody's learning at the same time. We're all just trying. Laws are constantly changing. This shit's been done for centuries. Like, technically, anybody can grow a plant, but few can grow it well, and even fewer can Mm. make a profit off of it. That's a good point. And if you're in a business and you've invested a lot into it, and you're starting to realize that you're not as profitable as you thought you might be, the first thing that's going to go is how you treat your employees. So the big thing though, Chris, is that cannabis is not federally legal, federally funded, federally agreed, which means banking is not a thing. So all the finances that go into running a normal business usually come from a loan, usually come from fucking second mortgages. Like people can find money, you know? But for cannabis, you have to have it. And you have to have it and spend it. So you're putting in your own... Yes, there and there is no yeah. insurance. There is no anything. Like, you are on your own good luck. Here's all the rules. And you have a lot of competitors and a black market behind you. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts. Because, like, on the one hand, you might have somebody rich as fuck, sees an opportunity, has the money, They're called investors. is willing to do the risk. Mm-hmm. Got it. On the other hand, you might have like a really passionate person that has saved up a lot of money. If they lose all of it, it's gone. They don't have a way to make it back, which puts into the equation an element of like desperation. If things start to go south, that like any corner they can cut, any value that they can bend. Any way they can succeed faster. Metrics. And it's a very, very lucrative game is what I like to think of it. What do people want? A good product that they can afford. So it's like, like, how do you build this hype? Sometimes people are nothing but a bright package and like a cool slogan. Or they're nothing but this really strong smell. And it's just like, oof, who owns you? Like, what is the owner doing? So I'm like, ooh, I get so like riled up about it because it it's a game. Like, when you talk about like people with money, right? Like investors, people who are like, damn, like it's a really cool industry. I want to participate. I want to win. I want to benefit from it. Like Wiz Khalifa. I look at that guy all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's like use what you've got to get what you want. And hopefully, I mean, you should know where to, when to throw the towel in. If somebody trying to start a business and it's not working out, like you need to, instead of like trying to force it to work. Desperate measures are taken. I've worked at places that are now shut down uh, because their own funding couldn't afford it. And they were like what's considered an MSO, which is like a multiple state operator, which usually means they're in California, Colorado, Michigan, Oklahoma, maybe. Uh, Illinois is a heavy hitter. These companies have just like set roots everywhere and they're just pumping themselves. And that's possible because laws are different state by state. But if the Mm -hmm. owner of the license is the same person, they can basically just give themselves something like a gift and just write a note. Hey, from Ohio to Arizona or hey, from Illinois. Like I know companies that have like their headquarters in certain states because it's cheaper and then they just send everything else elsewhere. Um, Yeah. And that's it. That's smart. There's a point where I'm going to say like, oh, look, I'm going to applaud like a smart business practice. Mm -hmm. Um and not like lump it in with say somebody that's i don't know not paying their employees or something yeah the other side to it is licensing and the scarcity of it because of that those companies come in from out of states with this big giant backing like they made a million dollars yesterday in california 
Like, they can do that. Right. And they come in and they buy all the licensing. But then there's no room for mom and pops in this. It's hard to make room. In Arizona specifically, there was what they called like an equity lottery. Happened in Chicago as well. Chicago is actually one of the most progressive fucking cannabis places to be because Chicago rides so hard for its people. I think it's great. Um, in Arizona, though, it's not the case. Basically, like three, four major MSOs came in, bought out the majority of these equity licenses, what they called it. And when the lottery happened, all the licenses basically went to those same companies that already existed, just under a different name. Out here, they do flyers. Hey, do you have a drug felony? Call us. You, you could be the owner of a dispensary because it's like a need for an equity license to have somebody with a drug felony charge on your board of your company to then be approved for a license so they're just like baiting people so that they can feed from it and like it's just like a game <laughs> like with the corporate world you kind of have to forget who you are to be there like you can't have a problem with anything you can't cause rifts you can't ask why you can't read too many things like the more you know it's kind of like frowned upon like Shh. yeah like i'll ask a technical question and they're just like uh it might be in the manual and I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, good to know that you won't just tell me. <laughs> That's frustrating. I know you that, like, you would ask that question, like, with an expectation that that's the culture of sharing information, but... It's totally not. Not necessarily. But, okay, so MSOs, I'm like, I guess it's a bummer that it's not the kind of mom and pop or people of color representation that people were hoping for when legalization came about because if you are you know already have all of this capital to very quickly put roots into multiple states on a large scale you already had to be very wealthy you can't be a trapper that mm -mm. worked his way into of being a business owner. Funny thing though is a lot of these people have these very interesting trapper teenage stories that they like to talk about. Like I've legit asked That's my funny. bosses like so when did you stop doing black market things? And they're like because <laughs> you don't have to. Like sure. in current day like you can be just a regular old like Buttoned fucking up. yeah. High paying roles that have no history with the black market. They don't need to. But everybody that I've come across for the most part does. And they're always just like, huh, huh, yeah, you know, I got raided or I got fined or something, something. Normally it's because some dangerous situation happened that drove them out and they lived. And that's why they're still successful in the cannabis industry now because they're respected. And they were known back then, so they're expected to be successful now. Like, okay. off the top of my head, I know like three founders and CEOs and directors who come from a very dangerous world who i'm just like Ooh, like that's kind of freaky that like you have all this capital that you're just spending 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 buying 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 and people are like bro you're killing it you're doing so great changing our industry and it's just mm -hmm. like no he's just a rich man who really wants to play <laughs> like he really wants to win in this game that we're all trying to succeed at i wonder how much of that capital was acquired through the black market and some of them did just have a storage room with stacks of <laughs> like hundred dollar bills piling up to the ceiling honestly i don't put it past anybody i guess i have a question then with people that got their money from the black market it, like are there clashes between different skill sets like meeting together 
because say somebody is getting in the business because they were in the black market and have a lot of money and they know a lot about growing, mm-hmm. I guess. And then people that have never really had an interest in cannabis, but see the opportunity to make money and then have applicable experience from just the corporate world to those people like working in the same spaces does it cause a lot of like friction Mm, i don't think that there is a space where they even work together okay um usually people are afraid of risk um and everybody is seen as a risk and a liability and so somebody thinks that they're going to be successful they're going to do it alone or with the people that they already know okay so Tell me if my understanding is correct then. Like if you're a person that has no black market cannabis history going into the business, you're most likely going to uh, minimize risk by going into business with other people similar to you that you may already trust because of their experience at a company that you've worked in or just because they have a reputation in the business world but okay so then if you're entering and you have black market experience and you have maybe like millions of dollars that you're able to pour into your project I don't know how common that is but you know I'm sure they exist and maybe the people they're going into business with are their homies people that they trust people that they've learned are less of a risk because they know them already When you're coming from a dangerous place, you're going to stick with your homies. And I feel like if there are any other voids, that's where people just hire consultants. And you you find the person who's highly reputable in that area, like a subject matter expert. Yeah, that's a good way to make money. If if you have a reputation for just like giving advice, like you are very valuable because you can eliminate risk for people and make their business more profitable at very low effort on your end. Yeah. But I mean, to get to those positions, you do have to like have your reputation and, and proven success point. I was making a second ago uh, or trying to make a second ago is that the regulation is in the end good for the consumer, but rules are put in place with a certain goal of, for example, of accurately labeled, products or or products that are not going to make anybody sick right but even so those rules are not always as effective as they ideally would be not everybody follows the rules not everybody follows the jobs like we don't really know everything on the one hand i've been saying that on the one hand like so many damn times i gotta find a new phrase it's okay i say i say you know at the end i'm all fucking yeah Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. So, on the one hand, you have people that do not follow rules. And then maybe you have rules that were created with insufficient information because the research... Or the people that made the rules just didn't know how to interpret the research. And then wrote a rule based on a misinterpretation. And then from there, you have people that follow the rules and end up with a bad product. Or people that are aware that the rules are bad and don't follow the rules on purpose because their goal is to make a good product and the rule the rules can be an impediment or a barrier to a good product. So it's like depending on the situation, 
the rule breakers can either be the problem or the rules can be the problem. Right. And I don't even have experience with working in cannabis or knowing anything about it, but I think that's just like probably universally true in the corporate world at least. Yeah. And probably in the science world too. Definitely. Like, how do we create that product that can put you to sleep perfectly, but still wake you up feeling fine without burning your throat? Like, truly, how do we do it? Like, there's all these theories and everybody thinks they're right. There's all these different approaches and everybody just wants to get high. Everybody's looking for relief. Everybody's looking for medicine, ultimately. Right. Like, pain relief. I have a lot of friends. Insomnia. Eating disorders. Yeah. Like, bud tenders are low-key, like, fucking pharmacists. Like, yeah, and you have people that are going to always follow the policy no matter what because they want to move up and don't want to cause trouble, like we were saying with Krobov. Yeah. Or, and you have people that are, you know, just rule followers, teachers, pets. But, but sometimes the policies are bad. So I don't know if there's a way for other people to gain wealth in a way that, like, isn't evil our soul selling and then break into the industry <laughs> yeah then that's cool but like the white male domination from what discussed i have the impression that it's just because they were just the ones that already had the money and were able to take those risks in the first place yeah because they had it and i think it's like anything in life like even the people who are mad successful they're not having a fun time they're having to jump through all these hoops too their own money is being lost yeah their shitty product is out yeah people are talking shit about them like maybe not them personally but this big big company that they've tried to put together like successful mso's have come to arizona and failed they fail all the time and i don't know i think that when you try and exist as a good person everywhere with that same lens it kind of becomes disheartening so like fuck like how do I still be a good person but play this game at the same pace and do well, you know? I don't want to fuck people over. Like, I don't want to do a bad product. Like, but damn, that's the contract or that's the policy, right? Like, that's just how we do things. It's like, fuck. I just work here, dog. <laughs> you went from <laughs> working at Grubhub, but then you went to Michigan and there was promise of a position that never, like, panned out in the way that they said it would. And then you went into outdoor on the West Coast and then more recently got into the indoor side. But you have plans for bigger things. Oh, yeah. I am going to be the operator of a dispensary in New Mexico. And it will be vertically integrated, meaning that we will grow our own supply and be able to sell it to the public. Uh, it's called like a micro business license, which in my family we recently acquired one. I'm going to step up as the operator and like the overseer of it all. Oh, dope. Yeah, I mean, you're going to like kill it because you do have so much experience. And so the people running this dispensary, what are they like? What yeah, they so it's my family who I really trust. And I'm honestly being blessed with this opportunity. Currently, it is a smoke shop called Queen Bee Smoke Shop in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It's a great shop, like some of the most heady glass. My family does a great job at collecting like a solid collection at all times. All the accessories, all classic smoke shop kind of vibes. Uh, and we are essentially transforming that into a dispensary. We already have all of our licensing, all of our approvals. Uh, we're just in those 
regular old business startup stages. That's so cool. Uh, it just happens to be cannabis. So that'll be like a, so a smoke shop. That's a nice origin story. You know, it's not, oh, some billionaire just wanted to make a 5% mm-hmm. increase on like some investment. It's like a family that has, I'm, I'm assuming like a POC family. Mm-hmm. So she's like a native to New Mexico. So like an indigenous woman is the license owner and the shop owner. And that's like my tia, my aunt, like I've grown up with her. And we're actually celebrating five years since she opened as like an independent owner and everything all on her own. Five years come April 22nd, so 420 weekend. So come the sixth year and the seventh year, like we're, we're diving into this market, we're coming in strong. We all have a pretty strong background in cannabis. I do my best and I do my part and I'm gonna bring everything that I have. That's really, I mean, they're lucky to have you. Like, I don't know what experience they already have just from, you know, being in the smoke shop business, but Mm-hmm. from your experience with working in indoor and outdoor of the cannabis industry and going to this operator level position is yeah like you said like also a huge opportunity for you to really have all of your hard work and trials and tribulations from getting into the industry yeah pay off after grubhub and like finding jobs and doing all this crazy shit to like start a career i participated in a continued education program where i actually received a business certificate specifically for cannabis where it was like a six-month program where i had to do like a lot of research in local companies and policies and then create my own uh entire business strategy according to like local laws and regulations so like it really put this perspective and like put this seriousness in me about how important it is to follow the rules, to understand the rules and how to play the game. Like it matters who you know, it matters what they think of you, it matters how you're known, who you work with says who you are. I want to know for your Tia, what has been the like biggest barrier so far to getting to this stage where y'all are on the verge of starting a vertically integrated dispensary? Yeah. Um, I mean, just from our conversations, I think it's hard because we're not millionaires. <laughs> like, yeah. if we had the funding, we would be operational already. Like, there's there are folks in the city, in the state, down the street who are fully operational. Right. And they're coming in with outside funding. Their quality is like, I don't want to judge them too hard, but, you know, like, I'm going to let them get it together before I get there. Because I know once I'm there, I'm going to be very serious about it. Was the smoke shop just successful enough for this new venture to be like funded through the profits from there or was there? No, we, we poured into it. There's a number of households and people involved up until this point just to secure licenses. Yeah, yeah. And we just got to that point and it was like, yeah. like we're in. Uh, my tia did have to like look for like local resources to help her get like the whole process starting because with applying for a license, it's unlike any other business. Like, it's incredibly thorough um, on anybody involved. And just getting through that process was difficult enough, but her being a woman business owner, operator already, being from the state, uh, really being a woman, <laughs> like, because there is such a huge disproportionate uh, representation in executives in leadership in the cannabis industry there have become avenues for folks like us to climb the ladder uh, but it's really about who you know who will point you in that direction i'm excited for it it's it's going to be fun. what part of new mexico las cruces that sounds pretty dope 
Cool. Okay, so now for just like this galaxy brain thought that I uh, don't remember how far I got into it. I'm just basically like <clears throat> trying to combine all of the insights around regulation into like a concise thought because, okay, regulation ideally with the right research and with good people that follow the rules and, you know, are invested in having a good product that is good for people. All of that is a net positive for the consumer to have a, a better mm-hmm. experience. However, it does play into keeping wealth with the wealthy in a way because all right. of the regulation makes it a lot harder for mom and pops to get into that industry. It makes it a lot harder for people of color to get into the industry. Like I'm using regulations as a blanket term to just kind of describe all of the aspects of being in a legal, like big corporate world, Mm -hmm. make it where if you don't already have a lot of wealth, it's an uphill battle. And then if you do already have a lot of wealth, you get to really get in and get out quick and make a profit before anyone else has a chance to. Mm -hmm. It's just like unfortunate that there's not an easier path for people that, you know, want to like pull themselves up by their bootstraps or whatever to start a business and have their dreams come true of like doing their own thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just kind of an extreme in the cannabis industry. Like you see it in every world and every type of business where people get into it for all the different reasons and money moves mountains and it takes mountains to make things happen that like shit gets dirty and like things happen and ultimately it's the consumers or the people who suffer all these different repercussions or who have to actually like grind out all of the fucking wrinkles and what's wrong you know um but i also think that with people coming with a lot of wealth there's like they make those big dumb mistakes they show us what's really wrong uh they also fuck things up by like burning out a bunch of crops or like that have to push our industry further to like keep our genetics strong or who really like prove why like the connoisseurs are correct about quality and cleanliness like it's like we're all just silly fucking humans growing a plant it's very easy to overestimate the intelligence of like wealthy people both when it comes to like being yeah like in the industry and thinking that because this person has had success that they are great at what they do oh my god and then it's also easy to overestimate the intelligence in the like world of conspiracies thinking that everything is designed to fuck you over sometimes it is sometimes things are designed Sometimes you be right about that shit. You're like, see, I told you. Oh, yeah. Bullshit. I mean, uh, conspiracy, quote unquote, conspiracy theorists have been proven right about a handful of things recently that I'm sure other episodes may touch on. But for the purposes of this episode, I won't open up any rabbit holes. <laughs> but then there are other conspiracies giving people too much credit for like how capable or competent they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when it comes to capitalism or wealth staying with the wealthy it's difficult to discern which systems are coincidentally helping the rich people and which ones are designed to like 
exclude poor people. And I mean, of course, I think most people's instinct and probably for good reason is to assume that things are designed maliciously. And that's just, you know, how like profit over everything systems work. (laughs) They don't, they're not about like doing the right thing. (laughs) That's why you just stick with your one plug, man. Your homie who you trust who fucking packs your weed up cute, call it a day. Smoke a joint. (laughs) Problem solved. If it's a woman, you do that. Yeah.